0: Let me start you off with this. Uh, this will a number of different caveats to this one. But in a world where it is, the pandemic has lifted and it's safe to go to a baseball game again at some point, and assuming money is no object, where would you go first if, if you had like, your choice of any, any place to go to celebrate the fact that baseball has returned in, in some ideal future?
1: Well, I mean, money's no well, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess it's got to be Comerica Park. Uh, I mean, even though that's the one I've been to the most times, uh, that's still the one where I would want to celebrate
0: baseball coming back. Mm-hmm. Have you pictured that in your mind of what the first game back is going to be like?
1: I, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I, I guess a little bit, I, but, uh, I guess I, I I can't wait to take baseball for granted again. I guess <laughs> would be a good. I I look forward to taking baseball for granted. That's what I that's what I've pictured more than anything.
0: In mean, hell, like I'm, I'm sure gonna to be taking- super
1: excited when the first game comes. Yeah, and I'm just more more excited to just like, oh yeah, baseball still. Yeah, uh, it's a weird thing to be excited about, but that's that, that's what I that's what I'm looking forward to.
0: I mean, hell, I, I'm looking forward to taking life for granted at, the, at this point.
1: Well, honestly. yeah, i take taken anything for granted. But, yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. Being nice. able to itch my eye. I, I, really, <laughs> I really miss itching my eye. <laughs> that was fun. Well, walking outside without a face covering would be, I mean, think of yeah, that's, first day uh, of it like It's that. uh, Yeah, I, I am picturing my, my first day back at Wrigley Field. And in particular for me, it's it's going to be like hearing that organ music for the first time as you're kind of stepping out from the concourse into the seating area. I think that's when it's really going to hit. And I'm just going to have a moment where like all the feels well up inside of me. And it's going to be like the last five minutes of Love, Simon. And I will just be a hot mess for the next, I don't know, three (laughs) hours or up until like there's... Up, up until the the first questionable move from David Ross, bringing in like uh, God, I, I, I don't know uh, who the equivalent of, of Carl Edwards Jr. would be in the, on the new Cubs, but uh, I, I guess up until the first point where I start f-bombing the Cubs, it will be it will be a beautiful thing. That uh, and honestly, I'm I'm kind of looking forward to to being baseball mad again. I mean, talk about stuff we take for granted in baseball. But yeah, I, I look forward to being angry about trivial things. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. It was,
1: yeah. It, uh, yeah. We were actually, cause we were supposed to go to the, the Tigers were supposed to be at a uh, city field. Uh, a few mm. back. We had, we had tickets for, we yeah. We we're pumped to go. Obviously. Uh, we didn't, uh, we didn't end up going,
0: but yeah. Uh, yeah, have, have you been to Citi Field? Oh yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a great park. Oh yeah, yeah, it's it's the definitely the 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 one of the two New York parks that that gets it right and gets it it feels like a ballpark there.
1: Yeah, Yankee Stadium is just awful.
0: Mm-hmm. Yankee Stadium, I, I like the the way I like to describe it is you're only allowed to have as much fun as you specifically have paid to have at Yankee Stadium.
1: Yeah, and it has all the the the. The charm and charisma of a a, a parking garage.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Just yeah. don't. I just I don't understand anything about that place.
0: A, a parking garage where they yeah. only allow Bentleys.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the oh, one oh. nice thing I do like about a, a Yankees or going to a Yankees game is that when uh, uh, the Mets fans are just such a defeated lot <laughs> that when the Tigers win, there's not really. People get genuinely angry when the visiting team wins at Yankee stadium and you're decked out Tigers gear. It's fun. Uh, (laughs) I think of the, the, the handful of, I think Tigers have actually done, I think there's a split, but, and they, we get taunted like nobody's business when uh, the Yankees win, but when, when your team wins, they, they, everyone just looks at you in such a, with such foul faces. It's really funny. (laughs)
0: almost with a sense of how dare you don't you know who you were playing today <laughs> can you can you remember like what the best thing you've heard going out of Yankee Stadium after the Tigers beat the Yankees was
1: oh I one I was with Nate once and uh, I wish I could remember some guy just really let us have it and I can't hmm. I can't remember the specifics, but he was he was livid about he was livid about Verlander because Verlander was bad, and there was no uh, I can't he was he was angry at us about Verlander who hadn't pitched that day. Awesome, it was just it, it, yeah, but it was just incoherent rambling. <laughs>
0: Rage filled, probably drunk on God knows what, and I'm sure he just going for whatever the first name of whatever tiger popped into his mind. Uh, so it was either yeah. Verlander or Don Kelly that day.
1: Yeah, it was. It was about it was about uh, his fastball. Verlander's fastball was going was uh, his velocity was dropping. Of and course. So we were a bunch of idiots for uh, for liking Verlander, even though we hadn't engaged this crazy person whatsoever. And, again, he had not pitched that game.
0: <laughs> I like that he had thought that he advanced scouted Verlander enough to, to know what his radar going to be for over the past few years. And that, uh, yeah, that, uh, that, defines, that defines Yankeedom right there. It, it, uh, yeah, it, if they're either rubbing your face in it or just just a, a fuel of rage. Uh, the the yeah. Yankees fans are not so much fans of baseball as they are fans of winning.
1: Yeah, they're well. they winning or losing. They're angry about it somehow. I don't. I don't really get it. It's a weird fan base.
0: It's it's yeah. It is a weird fan base. A weird ownership, and yeah, kind of just a weird place in general. And from that weird place, we are going to start off the show. I think at this point. So this is. The Three Strikes You're Out podcast, the Outsport Baseball podcast, part of the Outsports Podcast Network, episode number 28, the Kyle Hendricks episode of Three Strikes You're Out. My name is Ken Schultz, contributing writer to Outsports Baseball Prospectus and Cubs Den, and stand up comedian from back when that was a real job and not something that is the equivalent of like an entertaining iceman, I guess, perhaps at this point. Uh, joining me, the other voice you were hearing on this podcast is one of my old New York comedy buddies, as you can tell from talking New York baseball uh, and rooting for opposing teams in New York baseball. He has written for the New York Times and one of uh, my fellow contributors to the old Some E-Cards website, Adam Sokol. Thank you for joining me, my friend.
1: No, thanks for having me,
0: Ken. Yes. Uh, so first question for you uh, after after starting it up here. As a Detroit Tigers fan, and, and I'm kind of hearkening back to... Bear with me as I go back 25 years to the great strike of 1994 for a second, where that was, you know, an awful moment to be a baseball fan. And an awful time realizing that all of a sudden there was no baseball at a time where there should be baseball. The one, I don't want to call it saving grace, but the one thing that was kind of palatable about it was that the 1994 Cubs were horrifically bad. Like forcing Ryan Sandberg to do his first retirement at age 34 bad. Uh, So the fact that there was no more 1994 Cubs was like the one thing that was kind of okay about that strike. So I ask this to you as a Detroit Tigers fan, the fact that we have not had baseball for going on two months in the middle of what is going to be a long and obviously very painful rebuilding process. Do you miss the Tigers at all at this point? Yeah, you know, I mean,
1: COVID or not, professional Major League Baseball is not coming to Detroit for like five, six years. Uh, <laughs> easy. I mean, yeah, I mean, I've, of course, I I miss them. I mean, maybe if, I mean, like, my I've got friends who are Dodgers fans, and this has been a lot harder on them because yeah. they, I mean, that was they had such an amazing off season, and they were just ready to set the world on fire. And they are obviously not. I mean, I, I, I of course, miss watching Tiger baseball, but it's kind of, it would sting a lot harder if they were, if they were a team that was looking to really contend.
0: Yeah. I feel bad for the Dodger fans like that. I also feel bad for, oddly enough, White Sox fans a little bit because they had, Kind of been reaching the, the climax of what had been, I want to say, a, a solid four or five year rebuilding process at this point. And last year was kind of that 2014 ish Cubs. And I, I don't know if 2005 felt that way for when the Tigers were doing their, their gradual rebuild to competency, but that year right before it all hits, but you start to see that there are definitely people to get excited about here. And there is no better feeling in baseball as. 2006 you certainly remember uh that first year when they turn the corner and you realize yep the plan has come together and this is awesome and I think this year was going to be that for the White Sox and now it's just like everybody's just kind of waiting and hoping that if baseball happens to start again at this point that everything that was about to fall into place is still going to be there in a weird short year uh so, yeah, I, I, I definitely get what you're saying about, uh, about the Dodgers. And, and as I say here locally, you, you kind of feel that from, from listening to Sox fans talk about it. Uh, is there any sense that um, since Miguel Cabrera is obviously kind of nearing the end of a Hall of Fame inner circle stellar career, do you, even though he's in a decline phase, do you kind of want to get a sense of I want to get a chance to see as much of him well uh, as I can while he's still here? I mean, yeah, he's always been I – mean, he's a fun player to watch,
1: uh, even though he's not uh, not quite what he used to be. I mean, he's still, you know, a super fun player to watch, and I will watch – you know, love to watch him do in any capacity for as long as he wants to be in the game. I would gladly watch him do it, mm-hmm. even if it's just taking walks and slowly trotting to first base, you know.
0: <laughs> as a 280-pound man is want to do at this point. Yeah. He is. uh, I I love Miggy, and I love the fact that he has been dominant for most of his career with the physique of the stay puffed Marshmallow Cabrera. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny.
1: I I can't. I mean, I know they converted him pretty quickly after he came to Detroit, but it's still insane of me to think of him as a third baseman. Yeah. Because that is. I don't know how he ever did that.
0: I. I remember him as a thin Florida Marlin back in the day, crushing the Cubs in 2003, uh, his, his rookie year and realizing that, yeah, this guy was, you know, there was Albert Pujols and then this guy was going to be like the next closest thing. Uh, and it seemed, I, was he ever, th- ever thin with the Tigers? Because it seemed like he was always, always puffy as soon as he put on the old English D. He,
1: the first year, I think they made it, made it a few months before they uh, put him over to first uh-huh and yet, it's all the conies uh he just started. to get to Detroit started eating the conies and that was that was it he uh he got a got a coney tooth and uh <laughs> yeah got it got huge and that was it they had to put him before us and now oh, yeah
0: barely ever even plays first I, I was going to say yeah I was wondering if it was the Detroit cuisine what what is so different about that from South Florida but yeah I guess I guess conies and their Detroit pizza is a thing too right Oh, just like pizza's pizza is amazing. Yeah, mm. uh, easily the best pizza. But I'm sure
1: you probably have uh, thoughts on on that. Yeah,
0: pizza. yeah. I'm I'm a little partial to uh, Pequods or Geno's East here, but uh, but I'm certainly willing to sample if, if you want to show me other good stuff. Because even the most boring pizza in the world, which is how I define New York pizza, is still pizza. So yeah, I said it. Okay. Um, and, I totally uh, agree.
1: With it. I mean, I like New York pizza,
0: fine, but uh, yeah, oh, yeah. my my third favorite. Yeah, I, New York pizza is, you know, always, yeah, good, certainly, but rarely better than good for me. Like, to me, and I had a fair a sample, I thought, of a whole bunch of different places. I couldn't tell a lot of difference for most of them, honestly, because a, a lot of it is made for just kind of tossing in the oven and then, Grabbing your slice and going elsewhere and eating it. So, uh, in Chicago, we treat pizza like it's a meal, and we're human beings. So,
1: three hundred pounds with dignity.
0: No, we don't. We don't. We don't do that here.
1: It is, uh, <laughs> that's the Midwest thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's definitely. Uh, so, um, so is there anyone to, uh, before we kind of d- dive into baseball's deeper issues uh, at this point in the year? Is there anyone besides Cabrera that you would be looking forward to with the current edition of the Tigers, or is it all just kind of still placeholders while you're waiting for the next hopefully wave of prospects in a couple years?
1: I want to see what Fulmer can do now that he's healthy
0: again. Hopefully, Mm -hmm. do you think that he was
1: was touted as you know this huge thing, and then he came on and he looked really solid, and then uh, you know got hurt shortly thereafter. So, I just, you know, he's a fun player to watch. I mean, he seems like a good dude. Uh, I like watching him. Uh, you know, just individual guys, like even like
0: Jamer Candelario was a fun guy to watch. World uh, Champion Cup Jamer Candelario, by the way. Oh, all right. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. yeah. Was um, up with 20, the 2016 team for about a week, right in the middle of getting swept by the Mets around the 4th of July, because I remember going to a couple <laughs> games when he was playing. Uh, but that was enough to get him a ring. And then he mm-hmm. got us, uh, I want to say that was the Justin Wilson, Alex Avila trade. So oh, yeah. Yeah. you're welcome.
1: Avila's uh, uh, v- not still with the Cubs, is he?
0: No, no. Yeah. Uh, they, Avila was only there for 2017. He was ac- He was actually turned out to be the best part of that trade That because uh, he was kind of the backup catcher they were looking for, especially when Contreras went down for part of that year. Uh, But Justin Wilson just was one of those guys that kind of that classic guy who was doing well for that half season in Detroit as the closer. And then once they go from closing for a team that was out of contention since April to a team that has pennant aspirations, you could tell in his face and in the way he was trying to attack hitters that he wanted no part of it. Hmm. And uh, when I say face, I mean very tiny, oddly tiny face too, like disproportionately small eyes, nose, and mouth for the surface area of his general head. Like, uh, like Charlie Brown with hair is the best way to describe Justin Wilson, both face-wise and pitching-wise. Oddly enough,
1: I don't. I, I honestly can't think of anything recently, but I always thought when he was coming up with the Tigers, Rick Porcello always looked scared shitless when he <laughs> was brought into a game. Interesting. Um, I don't, uh, I'm sure he's, he's gotten out of that because he's obviously a, a great pitcher now. But his first, his rookie year, he just not, could not have looked more scared every time he took them out.
0: And he was their biggest pitching prospect uh, for
1: yeah, a little while, was not he? Like uh, a little a while. Yeah, until they, yeah. they somehow broke him and then um uh, he's obviously unbroken now.
0: Yeah. As was unfortunately the Tigers want in those Dombrowski Leland years, which were great years, but yeah, they they mostly out of the bullpen, but they were they were good at breaking pitchers too, it seemed like. Oh yeah. It uh yeah, I think a Porcello is more just kind of expressionless now. Like uh like almost almost assassin face, if that makes sense. So maybe that's kind of how he ad- adapted and evolved from being scared shitless on the mound, that he just decided, I'm going to show him nothing and see what happens, and you want to sign on with it. So good on you, Rick, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And is steely cold demeanor now. Yeah, yes. Uh, now taking it to the Mets, I believe, right? So you could see Rick Porcello taking on the Tigers if baseball was happening and was a thing. And speaking of that, uh, let me ask you this, Adam Sokol, let me put you on the spot. Um, should baseball be attempting to come back right now just just based on the the fact that the world is still kind of on fire
1: i don't i mean i, I would love i would love if baseball came back right now That'd be it'd be a lot of fun I just don't see how it's possible I mean you yeah. don't teams teams are big um, they have to travel everywhere or you have them the, that additional plan they came up with where everyone was locked in arizona for six months which was just bizarre that was like a weird solution that i didn't i don't i didn't know how that was supposed to work um you know they have to travel on planes which are there's no way to to do that well unless everyone drives individually which makes even (laughs) less sense Uh I, i just don't see how it's possible as much as i would like it to come back you know tomorrow i just don't see how it's possible and I haven't heard a lot of enthusiasm from the players either.
0: No, because they're, they're they're not they're like the ones that the play. big to get back in out there. And th- they're the ones that are playing in the middle of a, a pandemic. So yeah, I, I would not be enthusiastic to be forced to go back to work, even if it's you know one of the best jobs in the world. With that, so I, I get why you know the Blake Snells and the Bryce Harpers and the Nolan Arenadas Aron- of the world are more than a bit hesitant to go along with this. Because yeah. That's, I mean, even if you're in really good shape, you still hear about people who are in really good shape who are getting, getting killed by this thing. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, Mike Trout was going, I was talking about
1: uh, his his wife's pretty pregnant right now. Mm-hmm. And he's like, was I'm just supposed to not be around my pregnant wife then? I, I mean, it's just, it just seems like the, the, the owners like came up with this plan and it was like, okay, this is a way for us to get back to normalcy and start making some money. And they didn't even they didn't even think that the, the, their product is people. Right. And, uh, the people that don't really want to play and because of their strong
0: union, they have a say in whether or not they play. Yeah. And there's there's a lesson in that for what strong unions are able to get you, especially in times like this where so many companies are trying to take advantage, the Amazons of the world. Uh, and of of the fact that their workers have very little choice but to show up to work when they tell them. And, um, yeah, I mean, Mike Trout, as you say, his his wife is pregnant. Chris Bryant's wife just had a baby a, a month ago, so he's a new dad and having to deal with this on, uh, kind of on, on the top of his mind. Uh, you have, you know, people like Anthony Rizzo and John Lester, who are goddamn cancer survivors, who would be asked to show up and play for this, so there are many reasons, if you're a player, why you would take a look at this and go, yeah, I don't feel safe yet about this, because that's that's observing the world at this point. In baseball without Mike Trout, I mean, I I honestly, I, I'm not sure. If, if you had a baseball league without Mike Trout now, I'm not sure I'd want to watch it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, especially since all the high-profile players are uh, seem to be dead set against it. I just don't. I, I guess I just don't see it happening—not mm-hmm. anytime soon, at least.
0: Yeah, when were they saying? They were saying July. Uh,
1: that is—that is pretty soon.
0: Yeah, right now they're looking at July because I—I'm sure part of it is they want to sound as optimistic as they can. I think base, part of it is baseball really, really wants to be the first sport, major sport, back. I mean, there are already things like NASCAR, but who gives a shit about that right now? Uh, But baseball, I think, really wants to be like the driving force for the quote-unquote return to normalcy, which, first of all, shouldn't be a thing at all in the wake of this. If we return to normalcy, we've failed as a society, but that's another podcast entirely. Um, But baseball, I think they look at it as they were the sport where, you know, back in World War II, President Roosevelt wrote the famous green light letter to commissioner Landis saying, I think it would be good for baseball to keep going during, during the war for the people who are, who are working uh, to have some kind of recreation to escape to. And then baseball looks at, you know, they were the sports after nine 11 that had the Mike Piazza home run that signaled like the first moment of joy New Yorkers had in the wake of that epic tragedy. And it's like, I, I think they want to apply that to present day, but you can't beat coronavirus with a first pitch at this point. Yeah. And I, I think they, they would love to symbolically be that. But again, you're asking your product, which as you say, the players and the people are the product for baseball. You're asking them to put a lot on the line to essentially just have a symbolic victory. And there's actually in um, baseball's proposal that got leaked to Ken Rosenthal at the athletic last week and, and Evan Drelick there was a little bit in there that really kind of stood out to me is just how much more the symbolic nature of the idea of bringing baseball back means than the safety and the humanity of the players. And it was that within this 67 page document that Rosenthal wrote about, that had a number of, you know, super strict, almost draconian rules guiding player behavior from no spitting, no sitting in the dugout, uh, no high fives, but the one thing that baseball was still going to do, they were still going to bring all the players in the field and have them line up for God bless America. Because, (laughs) yeah, because that's apparently important to, to MLB. And, but that, that, that's it. They, they want that picture that they can sell about their sport to have everybody back from, from the pandemic and back from the shelter in place order out in the field with a big flag unfurled and and Irving Berlin's shitty, shitty patriotic anthem playing. They want that to sell to the rest of America and say, hey, look, baseball, America's sport is back. America is back. And if they have to put aside the health concerns of a Mike Trout or an Anthony Rizzo to do it, I think they're willing to to push that. And and you see that, I think, with the public pressure on the players from people like, you know, the owner Lickspittles, like Buster Olney, who are, who are trying to both side this issue and and make it a, hey, the union has to to compromise, too, and come together. Um, so I think I, I'm with you, very much with you in the fact that until we really take player health and player safety into consideration more, I don't think I feel comfortable seeing it back. but. I really believe the owners are going to push this as much as they can to try to get, make it happen. Uh, which could yeah, make them- I
1: mean, among the, among the major, among the major sports, the, uh, I mean, I don't want to, to stereotype here, but among the major sports, baseball players have the shittiest politics. <laughs> yeah. Um, just from, you know, from, from what I believe. So, I mean, it was a, a safe bet that they would be the first to, to go back. But the fact that, they were almost universally
0: opposed to it. Uh, it seems like it is gonna be a while. Yeah, I mean that that should tell you something. And, and you mean to tell me the sport that gave us Kurt Schilling has shitty politics? The,
1: the,
0: <laughs> the game where Aubrey Huff was a World Series hero and elevated to to almost uh almost you know mythical status for a year. Aubrey Huff, that that's that's awful politics. Wow, Jesus. Yeah,
1: and of course Sean Doolittle is exempt from yes. that that observation. I love
0: Sean Doolittle. I mean, Sean Doolittle is the guy you point to and go, "Yeah, I I can still feel okay rooting for baseball." Look at his Twitter. Yeah, he, he's like there. There are two ball players. Well, maybe two current ball players and a few ex ball players I can think of who can kind of redeem baseball on Twitter. And Doolittle does it through just like everything he posts in terms of his his political and social views. Uh, I highly recommend following Rizzo at some point, too, just because most of what he posts, especially in normal times, like it, it shows up on the timeline, especially now, uh, where everything surrounding it is, you know, just, you know, the darkest of dark shit. You know, just Trump says something and people react in the worst way. And now everyone's mad. And in the middle of all this, you suddenly see and Anthony Rizzo is visiting the hospital and cheering up sick kids again today. And it, yeah, honestly, it that is good yeah, it is, it is one of the more uplifting things you're going to see on, on that cesspool of a search engine. Um, looking at uh, how the owners have behaved too in terms of uh, the current discussion with players in terms of trying to bring the game back, you can kind of tell again where the priorities lie because part of the current negotiation going on between owners, ownership and, and the players' union right now To me, it it kind of boils down to what do owners want out of this? Do you really want to try to find a way to bring baseball back in a safe way possible? Or do you want to try to further break the union through disaster capitalism? Because it certainly seems like they have gotten on board with disaster capitalism as as much as they can right now. Given the fact that they and the union had already agreed back in March for the framework of how they were going to pay the players – when presumably baseball started up again, and the fact that they have said the owners have essentially said, "Yeah, uh, just kidding," uh, fingers crossedies kind of thing, like that to me again indicates that they're more concerned with using this as a way to take advantage of the players rather than ensure that that they'll be have a safe work environment.
1: Yeah, it seems that uh, on the own. Old- the whole thing was completely mismanaged, obviously. Uh, and it also seemed really short-sighted. I mean, I can see wanting to be the first the first sport back and, you know, all the photo ops and all that stuff. But there's a good, you know, there's a chance that the first sport back is also the first sport with another coronavirus outbreak, which would just be a PR disaster, especially if they, they dragged the players tooth and nail into coming back early, the fact that they there's a good chance that they, that could happen seems like it would just be a, a disaster for them uh, at the a PR stance.
0: Absolutely, and uh, and you know, I mean, there's I would say almost a hundred percent chance that some active player, if the game comes back, is going to test positive for it at some point. And then, what do you do? Not just with that player, but then with his teammates, like. Do yeah. you have to quarantine the entirety of that team when one player tests positive? And then what happens with the games that you have scheduled for them? Are those just forfeits? Like, And how do you run an entire season that way? Because that's, as you said, that's going to happen. And it's. I think it's already happening overseas. And I want to say the Bundesliga in Germany, the, the soccer league over there, there's been a player or two that's already tested positive. So yeah, you have to have that contingency in mind. And honestly, I think, As as I say, I think the ownership is much more concerned with trying to further get, uh, uh, further break the union to the point where uh, they can propose this 50-50 salary sharing plan and say it's for one year. And then when it rolls over, say, actually, we kind of like that. And let's keep that around. How about that players union? Um, Yeah, again, this is this is all. I mean, in in one way, they're leaking all these details of the plan to make you think that it's getting planned out to the fullest extent. But again, it's stuff like that that makes you you think, what are your real motivations and what is really important to you here? Uh, Do you think the players at at this point, and I would probably already partially answer this, but is the final product to you as a fan of, let's say, like an 82-game season, for instance, is... Is that worth a a all the all this sturm and drawing that we're we're going through and discussing it and is a shortened season worth the union, union potentially caving to ownership in that way to you as a fan? Uh no.
1: I kinda I mean I think this may be I don't know I, I kinda think like any baseball that happens this year is just pretty much just like a I don't want to say a sideshow. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure they would try, all the players would try, and I'm sure they'd be good games and all that stuff. But it seems like this season is a wash, regardless. Whether they play 82 games, whether they play, you know, 20 games, whether they just have playoffs. I mean, it seems like this is going to, definitely going to have a big old asterisk next to this season. And I I think they would just be playing game. This is going to sound dismissive, but like, it almost seems like they're, they would, this season would just be playing games to play games and it wouldn't be a real season. And I just don't think that's worth it.
0: Yeah. It would, it would feel like they're trying to create baseball almost as like comforting background noise for everybody right now. Yeah, And yeah, I, I, you know, as a baseball fan, I, I don't want comforting background noise. I want a season that I can get into and sink my teeth into uh, that said, um, I think that this would have a huge asterisk on the season and would essentially be just kind of a gimmick with the exception of if the Cubs happen to win the World Series, then I'm going to be first in line at the store to buy T-shirts and caps, socially distancing. Of course, of course. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Then it will be the second most important season of my lifetime. So, yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, I mean, even with all that, can uh, can you can you, uh, can you get into a baseball game in your mind if there are no fans in the stands? Like, uh, that
1: would be bizarre. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't even know. I, 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 I can't wrap my head around it. It would be
0: really bizarre. Absolutely. Uh, have you, have you watched any of the Korean baseball organization, uh, that's been going on over the past I, couple of weeks?
1: Honestly, I haven't.
0: And I didn't, I wasn't really aware that was an option to be perfectly honest.
1: Uh, yeah. you sent me, uh you told me that uh, you might ask about that. And, uh, I And I want to know now, like, is it on, what channel is it
0: on? It is on, um, they're showing it when the games actually happen at like five in the morning on ESPN. And then they're rerunning it at, I want to say, uh, two o'clock Eastern on ESPN2 for three hours. Uh, and I've been just turning on the reruns because I don't have any, I I don't have a dog in the fight. So I'm not checking KBO standings every day. So the game oh, is yeah. new to me essentially at that point. Um, but I got to tell you, and this is a league that is uh, running kind of what we just talked about running games without fans in the stands. It's great. I love it. Huh. I, I am all about the KBO. Um, yeah, the,
1: the answer is I have not yet, but I will be going forward.
0: Yeah, it's, it's definitely worth checking out. Just even as kind of what we talked about with baseball as background noise, that's essentially what it is, but it's still pretty great. Uh, having it around like that uh, which might negate the past five minutes of our discussion but nonetheless this is my kind of immediate emotional reaction to to kbo baseball it's uh does it make sense making this reference it's activating my inner roger angel a little bit all right yeah like roger angel is the the new york new yorker writer who's written about baseball for like nearly five decades and it's just kind of the most erudite fan of the game in terms of he just likes writing about how much he loves watching baseball. And I am feeling that man watching this thing that uh, KBO baseball, it's, it's, de- it's not major league quality. It, it's, it's, uh, but it's, but it's, it's up there. There are a lot of real, real solid players. Uh, the only time you can really tell it's not major league quality to me is on some of the infield play. Um, like a lot of the really, really tough, really good plays like a Javi Baez or a Fernando Tatis Jr. tends to make, in the KBO, they not only don't make those, but they tend to compound them with extra errors on uh, off of those. But other than that, I mean, it is it is a trip to watch. Um, it is a, a sport. It, it's a, both power and power, but lack of not nearly as strikeout heavy as Major League Baseball is, if that makes sense. Like it's, it's running a lot of home runs. But every hitter also knows how to foul pitches off with two strikes and really work at-bats and work the pitcher uh, over and over again, hoping to get get a mistake later on in the at-bat. So it's really kind of fun to watch a bunch of those individual battles. And actually right now there's like a debate in the league as to whether or not they've reduced the KBO baseball to try to have more home runs and generate a greater sense of excitement. And I got to tell you, the, the weirdest damn thing about watching watching this league, but it, weird in a really fun just kind of culturally awesome way there are no fans in the stands but they have cheerleaders oh and that that is like i mean that is just an ultimate 2020 sports and 2020 image of seeing a player go deep uh uh and then you cut to like cheerleaders spinning around in a circle on top of the dugout surrounded by empty chairs and (laughs) it's just this bizarre Samuel Beckett empty landscape where the great game of baseball is being played. And it's like every player is waiting for Godot and I love it.
1: Yeah. So. I will. Maybe uh, I
0: have to start watching.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, hopefully it will scratch my itch, and then I won't, uh, I won't be conflicted about wanting baseball to come back. Yeah. MLB. Obviously.
0: Yeah. And this, this is also a league and a nation that has handled the pandemic exponentially better than america has so whoa, it, whoa
1: whoa you're telling me another country handled this better than america
0: i i I, 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 yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. I, I, I know they're they're probably, this is this is not uh this is not the Outsports sports info wars podcast unfortunately so uh, <laughs>
1: uh
0: although i will be selling supplements at the end so be ready for that um All right. but yeah uh Yeah, so if if you get a chance, uh, every afternoon on ESPN2, just turn it on and just by the end, you just kind of end up feeling good that you've watched a baseball game again. And and any excuse that you feel good about right now, uh, honestly, take it, I think. And uh, so speaking of stuff that makes you feel good, uh, we also are doing a thing at the end of every episode of the podcast right now called Social Distancing Book Club. Giving you something, some baseball books to read while we're all waiting for the game to come back safely at some point. Uh, do you have a baseball book to recommend, Adam?
1: Uh, I'm sure you've read. Uh, 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 I'm sure you've read this one, but have you read uh, the Bad Guys One?
0: Uh I've flipped through it, but I have not read it.
1: It's a it's a fun tale, but the uh, the '86
0: Mets. Absolutely, yes. I remember that team well, and I remember hating that team as a kid. Like uh, that was back yeah, when. Yeah,
1: uh, exactly.
0: Well, no, go on. That was back when, uh, back in the old National League East days. Cubs Mets used to be like not quite Cubs Cardinals, but like the next closest thing in terms of teams that you just grew up knowing you you couldn't stand. Uh, and that was like the 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 alt- epic battles of of that era were like you know Ryan Sandberg and Andre Dawson, who represented just the absolute best possible baseball guys versus you know daryl strawberry and dwight gooden and and all the, the the new york mets guys who would beat your ass and then rub your face in it so it had kind of a little bit of that uh, what they i guess tried to create that bulls pistons vibe at the end of the 80s too I remember that yeah but yeah uh that's uh jeff perlman too right who is a fantastic writer yeah it's a, it's a real fun book
1: to read and uh it's one it's Man, you you read about professional athletes and you never know. I mean, sometimes you assume they're doing a lot of cocaine, but uh, <laughs> you never you don't realize just how much cocaine they're doing. And it is it is a lot. It turns out.
0: I mean, you know, the bad guys one is all, is about the Mets, but I think Bright Lights Big City, in a way, is also about the Mets when you think about it that way. I'm not familiar with that one. That is uh, the novel that was turned into a Michael J. Fox movie in late '80s, which is all about cocaine, I think, in in New York in in that era. Uh, all right. Yeah, I could have could have also gone with Less Than Zero, but I, I think that's an even older reference. So. I, yeah, I
1: wouldn't have gotten that one either. Yeah,
0: yeah. What what is a good modern coke reference from the past? I don't know, twenty years. Uh. Um... Yeah. Amy Winehouse is that a that's that's more a sad reference at this point, unfortunately. Yeah, I guess
1: so. All the cocaine references are uh, very
0: passe, but uh, yeah. cocaine seems to be still very invoked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, whatever gets you through the pandemic, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah. The the uh, the one I'm recommending this week, a uh, little bit less cocaine, a little more uh, social commentary, I guess. It's called The Heritage by Howard Bryant. And this is a book that came out two years ago and was the best book just in general, not just sports book that I read in, in 2018. Because it's a, it's a book, uh, Bryant is a fantastic sports writer. He's written a great biography of Henry Aaron called The Last Hero. But this one, he uh, traces the um, integration of baseball and then the integration of all major sports and kind of talks about how Jackie Robinson joining Organized baseball in 1947 was also the flowering of a movement where the most prominent African-American players passed down what they called the heritage from generation to generation of, like, African-American stars. So Jackie Robinson passed down to Henry Aaron the idea that you were not only in this to succeed personally and to, you know, obviously do your best as an individual player, but you're also a major part of the struggle for social justice and the struggle for civil rights. So if there is a moment where you can take a stand and say something important, you need to take that stand and you need to say something. And it it's a very fascinating way of tracing how that movement grew from Robinson through Henry Aaron and then substantially ebbed backward uh, in the era of marketable stars like OJ Simpson and Michael Jordan and how it's been kind of reborn with, LeBron James and all the uh, NFL players uh, taking up the mantle of Black Lives Matter. And it's, it's a fascinating tr- uh, discussion of the history of that particular part of the civil rights movement.
1: It yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: uh, uh, sounds really interesting. I might have to yeah. read that one next. It, it's a wonderful book. And it also, uh, on top of that, it also discusses how the militarization of pro sports in, in present day in terms of all of the troop salutes during every game, all the God bless America um, that we discussed earlier, the songs, uh, renditions of God bless America, all the military flyovers, what that does in terms of the civil rights movement. And Bryant discussed this in great detail is how teams and how the right wing in general uses that as kind of a cudgel against uh, modern day black players, essentially saying that how can you be speaking out about these issues when you're pampered millionaires and look, These are the people making the true sacrifices. These are the true heroes. And you don't want to be getting in their way with your causes, do you? And it's really, I mean, he lays it out starkly in in very uncompromising terms. It is a fantastic read. Can't recommend The Heritage highly enough. Uh, Anything else you'd like to plug while I got you here, Adam?
1: Uh, No, I don't uh, don't think so. If you want to get sick of talking about baseball and you want to read about uh, Star Trek, I, uh, I have a sometimes updated Star Trek blog uh, at uh, adamsocalled.wordpress.com. And I think that's, uh, it's, I don't really have any upcoming shows or anything like that, uh, obviously.
0: Yep. Uh, that's lift. really about it. Plug. Plug continued living at this point, I think, is, is a good <laughs> idea.
1: Yeah, I'm a big, yeah, yeah. Please do that, everyone.
0: And uh, I have enjoyed the past hour of continued living with you, my friend. Uh, This has been great. Thank you for joining us. You too, buddy.